Deliver us from evil. The last of the last petitions. Let me read a little more of the Word of God in our hearing this morning. Where in the world did evil enter into the earth? Evil was already in the cosmos because of the rebellion of the angelic host under Satan. But evil was not on the earth. The Lord had created and it was good. And he created man in his image. Male and female created he them in the image and likeness of God. And he was good. And the Lord placed the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, from among the trees of the garden that the Lord, and the Lord, but the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This, as you recognize, is the account out of Genesis 2 and 3 of how evil came into the world. There was a center tree in the midst of the garden, and God told Adam, and according to the account, Eve was created later, so apparently she also heard the message from Adam, if not from the Lord himself, it was pretty clear in her mind what they were not to do. They were not to eat of the fruit. 
Now she looked at the fruit and had an opinion. In fact, it, uh, the tree was good for food. It was uh, good for her body, good to eat. It was, it was nourishing. It certainly would be. The Lord had made all the f- trees and it, it was good. But it had an appeal to the lust of the flesh. And it was a delight to the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Wise like God. The pride of life. There's the threefold temptation. And the scripture says very clearly, she took of its fruit and ate and gave it to her husband, gave it to Adam, and Adam ate. It says, then the eyes of both were opened. They did become aware. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was something that the Lord wasn't quite ready for Adam and Eve to partake of just yet. It was not poison fruit. It was good fruit. And in time, according to God's direction, it's possible that he would have allowed them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that gave that capacity to discern, to understand what good is, and by contrast, to understand what evil is. Up to that time, all they knew was good. There wasn't any evil. Everything they touched, everything they ate, everything they did was good, it was marvelous. They were living in a perfect environment. For those who think the environment causes sin, they need to rethink. They were living in a perfect environment. There was no proclivity whatsoever from around them in that perfect creation to do what they did. It was there for a reason. In time, humanity would know good and evil. In time, it would be discerned. In time, it would be distinguished. But what distinguishes good and evil is not the reckonings of immature man. It is the edict of the almighty sovereign God that determines good and evil. And it was not quite man's responsibility to take on the burden of determining good and evil and recognizing and discerning because with that comes a grave responsibility. From that point on, you have to make decisions in order to live in the environment in order to do the things that you need to do in multiplying and and filling the earth and carrying out the great creation mandate, you're going to have to make judgment calls and decisions. And now you're the one that's going to have to decide, is this good? Is this evil? Is this something gray in between? It's a heavy responsibility to take on that responsibility of discerning good and evil. In fact, it's even not even within all the human capacity. You remember when Solomon came to to take over the kingdom from King David, he prayed to the Lord and he said, I am but a child. I have not the wisdom to discern for this people. And the Lord granted him 
wisdom. And even to this day, we refer to the wisdom of Solomon. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. That's where it comes from. You'll get it. You don't need to determine it yourself. That discernment that comes with determining the difference between good and evil is going to now become a perilous thing in the hands of an immature humanity. And now what's worse, the Lord's edict will be carried out. In the day that they ate of it, they surely died. They died in so many ways, not physically yet, but they died spiritually. They became separated from God. And that's why when God comes walking in the cool of the evening, he asks them, where are you? It's not a bad question to ask ourselves at any one time in our lives spiritually. Where are you? Well, I don't know exactly where they were, but they certainly were not where they were with God before. They had sinned and disobeyed his voice. All they really needed, this is heartbreaking, all they really needed was to just obey God. Do what he said. Let God determine and discern. And you follow the Lord. You surrender to his point of view. And get your morals from the Lord. Instead of seeking the capacity to determine it for yourself. It's interesting that the root word in the Hebrew for evil is, means to spoil, to break into pieces, to make worthless. And that's what evil does. Evil is a destructive force. In our text here where we're asking the Lord to deliver us from this evil, it is to deliver us from that which destroys. And as we mentioned last week, it can be evil as an abstract reality in the world, or it can be the evil one. But in either case, it's about the same thing because the Bible teaches us throughout a few things about the serpent or the evil one. And that is that he's a liar from the beginning. And in order to make his lie stick, he's a deceiver. And he's a destroyer. And he's an accuser of the brethren. Everything that it takes to be just a destroyer and a breaker into pieces, a pulverizer and a rendering worthless capacity is within Satan. And that's what he attempted to do with God's image. God's image on earth. Adam and Eve, male and female, man And he, for all practical purposes, Satan did just that. He crushed. He destroyed. He rendered into that which was incapable. That which was in many ways worthless. One of the interesting things that I always note every time I read this is that Adam when he, his eyes were opened and now he had that capacity to see something out there that he had never perceived of before. 
evil, that which is wrong, opposed to the good, that which would conflict with good for the rest of the history of the human race, that which had rendered him helpless, that which enabled, caused mankind to have to have a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior, that which would make mankind be where there would be a remnant who would be saved. There would be people that would be rescued. There would be uh, those who had escaped the snare. And then there would be a large portion of the population that would be born in the millennia following who would remain in evil. They would be like Paul says in Ephesians. They would be those who were dead in trespasses and sin and walked according to the course of this world, according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. They would be children of wrath. They would be of their father, the devil. They would constantly follow him. So that's where the evil started. It's a human condition that will now entail both good and evil. And evil has been marked out by many philosophers as they work through it as physical evil, that is pain, suffering, disaster, devastation, and moral evil, that is sin, rebellion, wickedness, bad choices, because now what is required is wisdom and discernment. And so people will, thinking that they're doing good, will end up doing evil. People trying to do what they think is good by their determination and doing it in their way will have evil outcomes, both physical as well as moral outcomes. Let me give you a couple of examples. Good people want to take care of the poor, feed the hungry, take care of the poor. But so often it's done with methodologies that simply are confiscatory with respect to taxes. It is income redistribution, which is legalized theft of that which God has abundantly rewarded to the wise, the prudent, the godly, the diligent, the frugal, taking out of their pocket and put it into the pocket of those who are but fools, who will squander, who will waste, who are indolent, and trying their best, this will bring about an impoverishment of both types of people in the long run, seeking to do good, but not having discernment as it needs to be, they will end up doing evil, much harm. There are those who love the environment and want to save the planet and preserve the planet. So in order to do that, they bring about policies and government mandates and edicts which move toward renewable resources, wind and solar and those kinds of resources to generate power, which was sufficient before there were machines. It is a pre-industrial mindset on how humans are able to move loads, create torque, 
and move loads through distance. Very wise and very smart people look at that and say, ah, those sources of energy can be used, but not in an industrialized world that demands massive amounts of machinery, billions and trillions and quadrillions of horsepower in order to do the task that's needed for a highly industrialized, highly urban planet. So seeking to do that which is good, they end up doing things that lead to poverty, famine, devastation, hunger, starvation, universal peonage, and serfdom throughout the world, and completely imbalance the blessing of the Lord over all the earth, putting a whole lot more money into a few pockets and taking it out of many, many, many others. You didn't know the Bible talked about anything like that, did you? Well, it does. Biblical economics is right up there with biblical soteriology when it comes to the revelation of God. It's not as important ultimately in many ways, but it is certainly thoroughly handled in the Bible. So much evil in our world today. Just start thinking about it. Famine, oppression, war, racism, high pockets of crime and criminality are simply because we have eaten of the knowledge of good and evil and we think it's up to us to determine what is good and evil rather than listening to the sheer, mere word of God. God says, thou shalt, thou shalt not, and if we followed that, we'd be, for the most part, okay. But we don't, because we have eaten of the knowledge, and we are the ones that want to discern. We're the ones that want to, to make up our minds for ourselves, that which is good and that which is evil. And before long, we fall into the trap that both the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah spoke of over two centuries in Israel's history, and that is that we end up calling good evil and evil good. Friends, I haven't even begun to make the case this morning, but at least I hope you've gotten the hint that we need to be delivered from that. As individuals, as a race, as a nation, as a people, we need to be delivered from evil. We need to be delivered from evil. And that's really the only thing that the Word of God sets forth that we need to do in this regard. Listen to the words of the prophet if I can find it here real quick, I think I can. Um, here's one. Jeremiah 4.22 For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise. And that's in quotes. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do the good, they do not know. Listen to the prophet Amos speaking. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. That's an interesting thing. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time because it is an evil time. In the world of insanity and folly and postmodern thinking, the wise man 
the godly man, the biblical man, the man who has his knowledge of good and evil from the word of God and not derivative of his own thinking, that person is deemed a fool. And to keep silent, to hold your peace, it's such an evil time, no matter what you say, it'll be distorted, it'll be warped, it'll be misunderstood. And then he continues with the injunction, verse 14. This is Amos 5, 14. Seek good and not evil that you may live. So the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and do good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Did you catch that? At the end of that passage is the hope of salvation. That's exactly what that phrase means. The Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Who's the remnant of Joseph? Joseph, of course, is God's people, predominantly Ephraim, who was the largest and the most prosperous tribe of all the tribes of Israel once they got into the land of Canaan. They were the dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. This is the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, who received the special blessing in Joseph and is carried down to his people. Joseph was a savior of his people. He's a type of Christ. He saved his people from the famine in the land back in the days of the patriarchs and brought his father Jacob and all of his brothers and their family, 70 households, he brought them down into Egypt back in those days of the latter chapters of Genesis. There needs to be another one like Joseph, that is another savior. Let me just sort of give you a couple of hints as to who uh, that savior perhaps is. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you will be filled in him who is the head of the rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the servant, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised and with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead in you who were dead in your trespasses of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by concealing the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. There's where our wisdom is. There's where the good is. There's where the salvation is. It's in Christ. Christ alone. There was a tree in the garden that turned the course of humanity. There was a tree on a hill outside Jerusalem that turned the course of humanity back to God. 